0: So this morning we're continuing in our series, King's Cross, um, taken from the Gospel of Mark. Um, We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 7, uh, from verse 24 through to 37, and that is found on page um, uh, 1010 in the Pew Bibles. Mark chapter 7, um, starting at verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven And with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, which means be opened. With this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak.
1: Um, Rachel, thank you for your welcome. Um, it feels really good to be back. I'd actually forgotten how blinding this light uh, can be here, so I can sort of pick out some faces, but um, it's, it's been really good to see people. Um, some people I look around and I feel like I know really well, see people uh, quite a bit around the place. Other people know fairly well, and it's been lovely just to be reminded of, of everyone here. Some people I, I don't know at all as I'm looking around, and it's, it's great to be able to say hi to you as well uh, today. Um, I, we left Kirkpatrick with uh, two children, and I've returned this morning with, with only one, because uh, we've had this, uh, this vomiting bug, unfortunately. Um, I'm 100%, or I was 100% this morning, and hopefully uh, I'll make it through, through the sermon today. Um, but we've now been joined by um, Owen as well. He's one year old, so that's, that's our news, um, and, and he's doing well, um, and he and Imogen are with Emma today. Emma's really gutted that she, she couldn't be um, with us today. Um, I want to say as well, uh, thank you to anybody who's been praying for us over the last while. Uh, We're serving um, my assistantship over in in Bloomfield, just down the road from here. And um, I I guess um, you could perhaps particularly pray for us come September time, because that's when I'll be able to uh, look for a church of my own. Uh, So we'd really value your prayers for for that step. Um, Shall we um, open up uh, God's word together? Uh, We're in Mark uh, chapter 7. It's a real honour to be able to to, uh, open up. God's word with you today. And as we do that, uh, shall we pray? Let's ask for God's help. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Our Father, our eyes are looking to you today. We recognize that you are enthroned in heaven. We recognize that we need you. And so we pray, show us your mercy. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we might know you more clearly and live for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would turn back to uh, Mark chapter 7, it's on page uh, 1010. And as Rachel said, um, I get the chance to continue in with this series um, in Mark's Gospel uh, under the title King's Cross. And I think it's worth pointing out as we start that this passage that we're looking at today really fits very closely in with what you looked at last week with Christoph. Um, Do you remember last week, Jesus was debating with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these religious leaders, and the question that they were discussing was how we get to be clean in God's sight. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law were saying, it's really keeping certain ceremonial laws that is going to make you clean in God's sight. That's how you have clean hands. That's how you get to be clean before God. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not really about that. What it's really about is the state of your heart. Is your heart clean before God? Do you love God? Do you love other people? Jesus is saying, it's not what comes from outside of us that can make us unclean before God. It's rather the, the problem is that we have unclean hearts. Uh, we, we have evil that comes from our own hearts all the time, and that makes us unclean in God's sight. So Jesus is really distancing himself from uh, the, the teachers of the law who are adding extra rules onto God's word, but he's also doing something you could say uh, that's kind of like a seismic shift in the story of the Bible. Uh, Just have a look at chapter 7, verse 19. The end of the verse there, in brackets, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's interesting because it means that Jesus is not only debating with the religious leaders and how they were adding additional laws onto God's word. He's also saying that there's a change that's happening in the way that people are going to relate to God. In the Old Testament, they had to keep ceremonial laws uh, as a way of... of, um, Of relating to God. But now Jesus is saying that the food laws, the circumcision laws, the other laws in the Old Testament that meant that Jews and Gentiles had to be kept separate from each other, these are going to go now. Because the whole point of those Old Testament ceremonial laws was really to show us that it's our hearts that need to be made clean. And so in the story that we uh, begin our scripture reading today, here comes a woman who is the total opposite of everything that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have wanted to be. She's a woman, which means she wouldn't have been allowed into God's presence in the temple in those times. Uh, And you can see verse 26, uh, she is a Greek. That means she's one of the, the, she's sort of culturally impacted by the majority culture of the time, the polytheism, the pluralism, the permissiveness of Greek uh, culture and religion. And she's also, uh, not a Jewish person. She's a Gentile. She was born in, Syri- born in Syrian Phoenicia. She is uh, of a different race to the Jews. And to make it uh, even worse, she's got a woman who we're told, verse 25, uh, she's got a daughter who has got an evil spirit, or you can see in the footnote, an unclean spirit. This is the kind of the woman that the Pharisees would have not wanted to go anywhere near. And of course we find in our story today, Jesus does uh, allow her to come close to him and he heals her daughter. Except it's not as straightforward as that, is it? It's not as straightforward as that at all. In fact, this is the only story I think I'm writing saying in the Gospels where Jesus actually initially refuses to heal somebody. And not only does he refuse to heal this lady, he does it on the basis of her race. He actually uses a racial kind of l- language uh, to, to refer to this woman. He, he gives the story of the children and the dogs. And it was well known that, that dogs was a way of referring to a non-Jewish person. And we've got, I think, here a, a, a Jesus that we're perhaps not very comfortable with in, in this story, if we're honest. It's not quite as simple as we'd like it to be. This is a Jesus who, who doesn't mind drawing attention to somebody's race in, in a way that doesn't look particularly encouraging um, or positive. This is a Jesus who goes on and he heals this guy who's, who's deaf and dumb by sticking his fingers into the guy's ear and spitting and touching the man's tongue. This maybe isn't a Jesus that we can quickly uh, relate to some of our concerns and issues today. This is a Jesus that maybe we wouldn't Imagine that we'd have been wanting to follow if we were honest. And I want to encourage us as we uh, come to this passage this morning to to try and be patient with it. uh, To try and work through and to try and listen to what God is saying to us here. And my hope is and my prayer is really that um, like the crowd at the end of the passage, uh, we'll end up saying he has done everything well. Um, it's just worth, I think, putting uh, this passage into a tiny bit more context before we uh, get into it. Um, if you look over the page in chapter 6, the, the section in Mark's Gospel that we're, that we're in here begins um, at sort of chapter 6, verse 7, uh, where Jesus begins to really focus on training his, his 12 disciples to be uh, his ambassadors, to be the apostles eventually. And so he sends them out on a short-term mission t- trip, and when they come back, he then uh, encourages them to try to feed 5,000 people. And when, he, when they can't do that, uh, Jesus feeds them uh, these 5,000 people with five loaves and the two fish. And everybody eats and is satisfied. Uh, Jesus is trying to build the disciples' faith. He's trying to show them what kind of a king uh, they're going to be the ambassadors of. Uh, Except it doesn't seem to be working that well, because then the disciples try and cross the boat in a storm, and uh, they're they're worried about drowning, and they are terrified. And Mark tells us explicitly, the reason they're terrified is because they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't get what Jesus had done with the bread, and so they're scared, and they don't have faith. That's just worth storing in the back of our minds uh, as we come to this passage. The disciples aren't mentioned at all here, but I think in a way that's almost deliberate. The disciples suddenly go into the background, and we're presented with a a different group of people, and we're looking at how they're going to respond to Jesus now. Will they be dull of heart like the disciples or not? So let's look then at these uh, two stories. Uh, The first one then starts in verse 24. Uh, Jesus, it seems, wants to remove himself from this dispute with the Pharisees and, and get away for a while. Verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, but he could not keep his presence a secret. So Tyre is in the north. This is now beyond Jewish territory. This is classic Gentile territory. The Syrians are known in the Old Testament for being arrogant people who despise God and uh, and want to kind of take advantage of His people. Uh, they're with the, they're in kind of Syrian uh, country, and it, it does seem as though Jesus has got no particular intention in going here. Uh, he doesn't sort of seem to be on a big sort of mission trip. He seems to be wanting to get away. And this woman comes to him. Uh, whose uh, little daughter is possessed with an unclean spirit, and she falls at his feet, and she begs Jesus, begs him to drive the demon out of her daughter. And so here's the big surprise, verse 27. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs or to their dogs. Now, you can uh, hopefully see uh, the image that Jesus is working with here. If you're somebody who's got sort of young children and you've ever been around uh, dogs, uh, puppies, you'll kind of know, know the, the problems. We've certainly encountered this. You, you sort of have your kids in the high chair and somebody's got a young, untrained dog kind of around the place and the dog desperately wants to come up uh, onto the top of the high chair and snaffle whatever uh, food it can from the top of the high chair. And Jesus is saying that's not right. You know, we don't allow that, do we? we? We would kick the dog out if it, if it started doing that. And of course, you can hopefully pick up what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the children in this, in this picture are God's people, the Jewish people, God's Old Testament promised covenant people. They're the children. They're the people who God has, has chosen uh, for his own people. And the bread, well, that's, that's what Jesus can give. That's, that's God's grace, God's favor coming to us, uh, God's help, God's salvation. And the dogs... Well, it doesn't take much to join the dots, does it? It's this woman and her little daughter. So Jesus is saying to this woman, it's not time for for you to receive the bread. It's not time for God's grace to come to you. Now, he's not saying never, but he's saying first, first let the children uh, have the bread. It's not right to take the children's bread and just go and toss it to the, to the dogs, So he's, he's maybe implying that there is going to be a time when it will be possible for, for the dogs to get the bread. But, but he's saying it's not now, not yet. And you maybe think, okay, that's fair enough. I can see that there would be a time uh, in the Old Testament where God would be particularly focused on the Jewish people and that would obviously be still around in the time of Jesus and then it's going to expand out to everyone. Fair enough point. But Jesus, why did you have to bring race into it? Why did you have to put it like that? Why did you have to call this woman a dog? Well, it maybe helps a little bit to, to recognize that he's not sort of referring to, to a wild, scavenging dog. The picture is very much a domestic picture. Uh, the, he, he uses a kind of a word that suggests it should be more translated like puppies, little dogs, children's dogs. But you'd still have to say this, this comes across as one of those things that in today's culture, we'd probably call it a microaggression, where somebody's sort of trying to be nice, maybe trying to be really really positive, but they say something that they really shouldn't say, and it hurts, it stings. And, and people who are minorities in a, in a majority culture have to deal with these kind of microaggressions all the time. So it seems like Jesus is coming into this culture, and he is imposing his culture on this woman, and it's going to hurt. Uh, if, Jesus, if Jesus was a TV news anchor, uh, you'd have to say that he would be breaching the social media guidelines, wouldn't you, for, for what he says uh, to this woman. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, I, I, I've sort of tried to, tried to pause on that for a moment because it's worth thinking about what we'd do if we were in this woman, woman's shoes. How would we respond if, if if we were on the receiving end of what Jesus says here, it'd be tempting, I think, wouldn't it, to to play the victim, to sort of turn around and say, "Look how he's treated me." What, what do you think of that? I mean, that's what people do today, isn't it? If somebody receives something like that on social media, they kind of share it again and say, "Look at this! Look at how this Jewish Messiah, who thinks he's all that, has treated me. This is not good." We'd play the victim. Look at what this woman does, verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So she accepts the image, doesn't she, first of all? She owns it. She's sort of saying, yeah, Lord, Lord I am a dog. I'm, I'm okay to fit in with this image that you've given me. But that doesn't stop her asking. She, she's saying, look, you know, there, there's food still going to be coming. Surely, surely there's still going to be some crumbs uh, falling down. Um, I love the way Tim Keller uh, describes what this woman's doing here. He, he calls it rightless assertiveness. And he sort of points out we don't really know how to do that in our society. If we're going to assert something, we normally do it on the basis of, my, of our rights. This is what I'm owed. This is what belongs to me. Give it to me now. And she doesn't do that. She doesn't attempt to say, I deserve this. She doesn't play the victim. She just keeps asking, humbly asking. The image, I guess, now is of, is of, of, of a toddler who is you know, starting to play with their food, maybe messing about with it a bit, starts throwing it everywhere. And that's when the dogs really come in, isn't it? The dogs can kind of come in and hoover up the food and you're actually really grateful for them at that point. And she's saying, "Lord, couldn't it just be like that?" Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yes, there's going to be a time when you're going to open it up to everybody, and that's brilliant. But, but, Lord, maybe I could have a little bit now because there's plenty there, isn't there? There's plenty of bread. There's plenty of food coming down from the table. Couldn't I have some, please? She's not standing on her rights. She's trusting in the one who's got the bread. I think she's a real hero of the faith, this woman. She's probably the first person I think you see in the whole of the gospel who really gets it. She understands, doesn't she, about the bread. The disciples don't understand that Jesus has got plenty of bread, plenty for everyone, just receive with faith. But she does. She knows there's plenty of bread at the table. And so she just says, look, couldn't I have a bit now? She asks humbly, She comes trustingly. She keeps asking. And so, verse 29, she goes away receiving. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed. And the demon gone. That's how it works in God's kingdom. We recognize that we don't deserve. And then we come and get it. I don't think we should think of Jesus here as sort of being stern or reluctant in this interaction. I don't think we should think of him as sort of having his arm twisted uh, by this woman. I think we should actually see him at this point as as laughing, as smiling. There was a kind of quite a standard way that teachers would relate to people that they were trying to teach in the ancient world. They'd quite often play devil's advocate. They'd sort of put put up a defense and challenge the student to knock it down so they could draw out. Uh, what the student understands. I think that's how we should see Jesus here, as a sort of a wise teacher who's, who's wanting to, to put up some resistance to this woman to show what her faith is. It's a sort of a discipling technique. He's, he's encouraging her to, to be able to show what is really in her, her heart. And so he's smiling as this woman uh, shows that she understands both that there's plenty of grace and that she doesn't deserve a single bit of it. And the next couple of stories, the one we're about to look at, and then the one in Mark chapter 8, I think show us that, that this is not a one-off for one particularly brilliant uh, Gentile woman. Um, these stories show us that there is a bit of a watershed here, that there, there is a time that's coming, and is just beginning to arrive, where the doors are going to be thrown open, that anybody who wants it, whether they're Jew or Gentile, can come And get the bread. So Jesus uh, gives bread to dogs. Jesus gives bread to dogs. That's the the sort of heading I want us to to take away from uh, from this first story. Jesus gives bread to dogs. The reason I've included that quite controversial word dogs in the heading, because I want us to see that this is really controversial. This is meant to provoke us. And I think it's meant to ask us whether we see the goodness in this, if we see the grace, if we see the bread, or whether we're hung up on the fact that we're dogs. It's easy to be offended by this. I wouldn't be surprised if lots of us here today don't find this particularly comfortable listening, to hear Jesus describe a person of a different ethnicity as a dog. And if we're going to see that this is good, we, we treat, need to try to get around that somehow. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think we need to be prepared to, to sort of put uh, that sort of modern Western mindset that we, that we all are sort of conditioned into thinking about to one side. The sort of the mindset that says, uh, I've got my rights, I've got my identity. Don't you dare get in the way of those things. Somehow we need to be able to say, well... It can't be quite that simple. It can't be all about that. And the reason, of course, is that we are all dogs. We're all undeserving. Jesus is saying this woman's undeserving, and he's saying that we're all undeserving. But there's maybe another way that we could be offended by this, that that isn't just sort of specific to our culture and our time, but but perhaps something that's more intimate, that's more personal. Jesus, you'd have to say, is quite firm with this lady at the start of the story, isn't he? he? He gives us a no he gives, us a not, he gives her a not yet. And I'm sure that must have stung a bit. And perhaps we've had that. Perhaps we've had Jesus saying to us, no, or not yet. And it's hurt. And perhaps it's still hurting. And we are still sort of wondering to ourselves, Lord, are you really good? Are you really good for me? And we're maybe tempted to, to take a wee bit of a huff And to feel, Jesus, you know, why not? Why not? And it stops us from seeing seeing the grace. It stops us from seeing the bread. And so if we're going to get around this, I think we need to recognize that we are all dogs. Whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile by birth, none of us deserve God's grace. The Bible's very clear on that, isn't it? It's clear from this passage that Gentiles don't deserve God's grace. They're outside of God's promises. God doesn't owe them anything. But of course the whole Old Testament's clear that, that Jewish people in the same way don't deserve God's grace. None of us do. None of us have any rights to bring to God. None of us have got anything to sort of say to Jesus, look, I deserve this. But Jesus gives bread to dogs. There is bread on the table. This woman goes home and the demon leaves her daughter. And that shows us that there's bread on the table for us too, if we're just willing to ask for it. This is counterintuitive. And I think I was thinking about a sort of a practical way to, to perhaps reframe um, how we think about uh, ourselves and how we relate to God. And I think one of the, one of the best ways we could do that is, is to pray a, a traditional and old fashioned prayer that, that really takes these words of this woman and allows us to make them our own. Um, There are words that come from a prayer called the Prayer of Humble Access that is in the Church of England and Church of Ireland uh, communion liturgy uh, at the start of every time that they share the Lord's Supper. It was written by Thomas Cramner um, in about 1552. And um, I'm going to read it through, and perhaps you might want to look it up when you go home. And if this is sort of provoking to you what Jesus says, why not try and pray it every day this week? as a way of reshaping uh, how we see these things. Uh, So here's the prayer. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, Well, let's move on then uh, and look more briefly at the second of these uh, two stories. So verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. So Jesus now moves into the Decapolis, which is also well known as a region that's filled with Gentiles. Uh, In chapter 5, Jesus heals uh, a man who's demon-possessed, and the demons go into the herd of pigs. Well, that was in the Decapolis. This is a Gentile region where there's people uh, keeping pigs. And we assume then that this man is a a dog too. We assume that he's a Gentile too. Or if he's not a Gentile, he's at least contaminated by living uh, among Gentiles. So, there's a, a sort of similarity between this story and the last story. These are both about Gentiles meeting Jesus. But unlike the last story, there's no witty conversation here. There's no chance for banter and, and, and an exchange of conversation and a sort of a clear articulation of faith. This man just stands there. He can't say anything because he's deaf. And because he's got a severe speech impediment, presumably because he's always been deaf. And the people who bring him along want Jesus to put his hand on him and heal him, presumably. And I want us to see how tenderly Jesus deals with this man. Verse 33 After Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touch the man's tongue. So Jesus refuses to make this man, this unusual man, this man who's been suffering with these disabilities that make him uh, different to everybody else, he refuses to make him a spectacle. He leads him away from the crowd. He's going to deal with him privately, individually, one-on-one. And, and he doesn't do what the crowd want. He doesn't place his hand on the man as they suggest and as, as he's done in other healings. Because Jesus doesn't need to do that. He can, he can heal in whatever way he likes because he's the word of God incarnate. And so he varies his, his, his sort of what he does physically in order to be most helpful to the person he's dealing with. And so to this man who is deaf, he puts his fingers in his ears. To this man who can hardly speak, he touches his tongue. It's sign language. It's a way of uh, speaking to this man who can't understand him and showing them it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to make you better. It's sort of makaton uh, for this guy who is deaf and dumb. And then verse 34, he looked up to heaven, saying to the guy, look, let's look to God for help with this, shall we? And then with a deep cry, a deep sigh, sorry, said to him, "Epfatha," which means in Aramaic, be opened. This deep sigh uh, is interesting, I think. Uh, the word that um, it translates is, can also be translated as groaning, and it can even be translating for the kind of groaning that a mother does in childbirth. Elsewhere in our Bibles, so this is a, this is a groan that carries the, the sense of suffering, of deep pain. And I, I get the sense that Jesus, as he's groaning as he heals this man, he's he's showing his sympathy. His fellow feeling for this man and his sad condition, his painful condition, and I suppose for all that this man represents, he sighs deeply. And so, our second heading, the the heading for this story that I want to suggest, is this story shows us that Jesus groans for dogs. Jesus is not a, a sort of an aloof, paternalistic figure who comes along dispensing mercy to whatever he likes. No, Jesus is the Lord of heaven who stoops down and comes among us. He walks among people like us and he knows what it's like to carry the burdens that we carry. The book of Hebrews uh, tells us that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus groans for dogs and he groans not only for dogs, sorry, he groans with dogs He he kind of shares our feeling. But he also groans for dogs. His groaning heals us, just as he groans and heals this man. So I wonder if, in a way, we're getting a picture of how Jesus will again groan and look up to heaven and speak in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus hangs on the cross with his arms outstretched, he's carrying the weight all of our sin. He is weighed down with it. He groans for dogs. And so he heals dogs. Because he, the perfect, spotless Lord Jesus, has carried our sin. He has taken it away completely. And so he is able to say to us, be opened, be healed, be made well, as he pours out his spirit, and purifies our hearts. Verse 35. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Well, there's a clear reference here to those uh, words that Rachel opened our service with from Isaiah 35. This time when the lame leap, when the mute tongue shouts for joy, that is a time, Isaiah says, that is the time of redemption. It's the time when God buys his people out of sin and out of slavery and brings them to himself. It's the time when God's restored holy people will walk on the highway of holiness And we're told that they'll enter into God's eternal kingdom uh, with joy, everlasting joy will crown their heads. This man's healing, friends, is a picture of our inner healing, the work that God can do through Jesus to make us clean. Well, as we come to come to a close, I, I, I suggest that the message of these two stories is that Jesus really does. Bring us God's grace. He can make us clean. He can make us well. He can heal us. He's got bread. And he makes it available to dogs like us. People who don't deserve it. People who have got unclean hearts, who have got nothing to bring to the table. And I suppose my big encouragement uh, from these passages to us uh, would be to encourage us to not let anybody rule us out of coming to Jesus. Whatever social category or, or racial category or, uh, or whatever category it is that, that people might put on you or that you might put it on yourself that means that you don't think you're worthy to come to the table. Well, well, you're not. We're not worthy to come to the table. But Jesus still invites us to come. So it doesn't matter if you are uh, from here or overseas. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're divorced or have never been married. It doesn't matter if you're disabled or, uh, or able, uh, fully sighted. None of this matters. Don't rule yourself out. Come to the table. There's plenty of bread. There's plenty of bread here for you. So come and feast on the Lord's mercy, on his compassion, on his wisdom, and his power. As we say with this crowd, he has done everything well. And to him and with him be glory and authority forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.